Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, September 12th, 2021 from Romans chapter 3. We should be um, joyful all the time, like joyful in affliction, even when you're having a hard time. That's the way we should be and it's only logical. So sometimes like people who um, believe in Jesus aren't always exactly that way and um, I th- there's at some point the logic breaks down, but I was just um, thinking maybe it's because we don't read it close enough. So I've just been kind of reading Romans one, Romans two, Romans three, and Romans four, which is a book, which is a chapter about happiness, and just saying, okay, what is in this chapter that makes it logical that I should be this loving, bubbly, joyful person? So that's what I'm doing. So in chapter three, it says this. Um, in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, and he's talking about the Ten Commandments, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God because no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by doing what the Ten Commandments say. Rather, through the law, through the Ten Commandments, we become conscious of our own sin and failure. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, the righteousness that is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, because there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Then these are like the most amazing words ever written in the history of words. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, whom God presented as a propitiation through faith in his blood. I don't know if I read that in a way that was as amazing as those words are, but they're amazing. Okay, so then in chapter 16, there's a chapter where Paul's kind of like saying hey to a bunch of people that he knew in the city of Rome. And then at a certain point, this is so, this is like one of my favorite people in all the Bible. In verse 22, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So, Lord, help us to understand this and understand, help us, if we've never understood anything in the history of ourselves, help us to understand this. If there's a light that needs to go on, make it go on today. Um, If someone has a question that they need answered, answer it. I don't feel like I can even, I'm even capable of explaining these amazing words but help me do it in Jesus name. Amen. So this guy, Tertius, he's like my way. He's like one of my favorite people, like all in all of the new Testament, because it's a, it, so apparently he was the guy that when Paul was dictating the letter, he was the guy writing it all down and like, kind of like his secretary. And then maybe Paul, like he got to the end, he had a couple more things he wanted to say, but he's like, Hey, you know what? I need to take a bathroom, bathroom break. You know? So then Tertius says, Yo, Tertius, who writes this letter, I greet you in the Lord. But in the Italian version of this, it's much cooler. Like, in, it's translated differently. The Italian version says, Io Tercio, che scrivo questa lettera, vi abbraccio nel Signore. Isn't that cooler? It's just cooler in Italian. But what the Italian version says is that me, Tercio, 
hug you in the Lord. I just hug y'all. I just love all y'all. I've never met you, but I just hug you because the Greek word is a word that actually comes from, like it's more than greeting. It's a word for hugging. And Italians are like super affectionate. And I just could see this like this Italian guy. He's just like, I just hug y'all. I just love y'all. So Italians, like whenever they go to, like when you go to church, they always kiss each other. Like they kiss each other on the left cheek and the right cheek. Ciao, Roberto. You know, just like, ciao, Roberta. You know, they just kiss each, ciao, Paolo. And then, but if somebody has to leave church early, they go around and kiss everyone. Like, they'll go and they'll just stop and, ciao, Luciano, ciao, ciao. And then just, and you're just like, okay, do I just need to wait till this gets over with? But, I mean, it's just, um, it's just kind of amazing. We're not that way. We're not as affectionate as, well, we're not as affectionate as a lot of countries are, but... Their super affection. I remember when this was, man, it must have been like in the middle 90s that when um, answering machines were first coming in and somebody left me a message. I think that had to do with an elders meeting or something. Hey, Tom, da 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 da. Okay, okay, see you later. Love you. And then they said bye. And I was like, who knew? I mean, it's sweet, you know, I thought, okay. And then, then I got a second message and it said, hey, Tom, um, I left a message and I may or may not have told you that I love you. I mean, like I do, but <laughs> actually it's what I say to my wife like every day when we call on the phone. And so I kind of did it by habit and um, I'm not exactly sure um, what I'm saying right now, but I'll see you later. <laughs> it was the weirdest. I remember Tina, this was in 1985, the first time she ever left a message on an answering machine and got to the end and she said, in Jesus' name, amen. And she was like, what did I, what did I say? But I was thinking about, um, I remember reading an article after 9-11, when um, 20 years ago yesterday, and it was about messages that people left on answering machines. And everybody called someone to tell them that they loved them. There was a woman named Melissa Harrington, and she was an accountant. And she was in, um, in one of the towers and just called her husband and left a message and said, Hey, babe, um, I just need to tell you that I love you. And that was it. There was a woman named C.C. Lyles who was a, a flight attendant on United 93 and she left her husband a message on his answering machine. Hey, hon, tell the kids, I love them. I wish I could see your face again. I love you. And they said nobody ever called to say, hey, I just wanted to tell you I've never liked you. Or, you know, I just wanted to tell you to vote for so-and-so. It, it wasn't, it was just to tell someone that they were loved, you know, and there, there are people who have gone through like their whole life and they've never heard that. Like they've never heard their dad or their mom or they've never been told that they were loved. I mean, sometimes people said, you know, I know my dad loved me. He never said it, but I know he did. And I'm like, hmm. I don't know how you know it if he never told you. He was supposed to tell you. There was a woman, and this, I mean, I've told you guys about her before, but um, this must have been six years ago in my life where 
She made a big, um, a big difference to me. Her name, she's pretty famous now, but back then she wasn't. She was a sociology professor at the University of Houston. Her name was Brene Brown, and she had written, um, she had done 10 years of study on the concept of shame. And she said, shame is the feeling, guilt is, I've done a bad thing. Shame says, I am a bad thing. She calls it the concept of scarcity. I'm never good enough, I'm never rich enough, I'm never educated enough, I'm never, I can never do enough. It's never enough. I feel fundamentally that I am un acceptable as a person and unwantable and unlovable. She said shame is the master emotion of American society. And so they asked her to do one of those TED Talks and a guy told her, you need to be prepared for as many as 5,000 people watching this and you know on YouTube or whatever. And the last I checked it, it hit 11 million just because it hit such a thing and there's so many people who live with this and that it's just not enough. I'm never enough. I rem there was a poem I remember this high school kid wrote. It said, I'm such a terrible kid. I only think about myself. I can never make anyone happy. At least that's what they keep telling me. I can't understand it. I can't see. I'm always wrong. I can't do anything right. At least that's what they keep telling me. I'm ungrateful and high maintenance. I'm never satisfied, always asking. I'm not good enough for anyone. At least that's what they keep telling me. I'm so self-centered, yet you, I give you all I have. I love you more than I should. I always try to make you happy. I try my best, hoping you'll be satisfied, but I'm your terrible kid, your sad mistake. One day, maybe you'll understand the pain inflicted upon my unborn heart. Don't say you want to make me happy when you're making me cry so hard so often. And, you know, just people, they live like that. They grow up like that. And yet, here's this guy, Tercio. And he's just full of like joy, it seems like, and you know, so full of love and just like, hey, I just love y'all. I just wish I could just hug you all. And I think, well, maybe he learned it at home. Maybe he learned it at his, in his family, but he couldn't have learned it in his family because I don't believe he had a family because Tercio is not a name. It's a number, it's the number three. His name was number three because he was in all probability a slave, sold as a baby and given a number. And you think, I mean, there's one, there's a thing. So I'm doing this thing at UT Hospital and I'm learning a lot of stuff. But one thing I've learned to do that I never knew how to do was go to Starbucks. I've never known how to do it. It's just so intimidating. You know, do you want a double mocha cappuccino? Do you want a frappuccino Americano? I just don't know what they're asking me. And I don't know how to ask for just coffee. I don't know what they call it there. And they, and, and tall, the smallest is tall and the middle is grande. And the tallest is venti, which means 20 in Italian. And I don't know what 20 what, but there was a, there was a girl, an international girl, and she was talking about it because her name was, was uh, Shafali. 
And so when they asked her, is there a name for this order? And she would say, Shafali. And they would say, what? And she would say, Shafali. How do you pronounce that? Shafali. How do you spell it? S-H-E-F-A-L-I. And so she just changed it to Sheila. And she called it her coffee name because she said, it's just too much trouble. And somebody who sees you every day and even knows what you eat and yet doesn't really know your name. And they, you know, they were thinking about like when your family visits from Egypt or whatever, and your name is Milvat, but you just call yourself Jill. And her mother says, what? She said, it's my coffee name. You know, don't ask, but like just to not even have a name or not be your real name or not be known. But somehow, he had found something that had evaporated the shame that he had grown up with all of his life. And I think, what is it? And then I thought, it must have been this letter, like he's writing down this letter. And he knew it because he was like an associate, like of Paul and everything, and he knew what he said. But so when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, he was writing to a bunch of people in the city of Rome, a place that he had never been. Nobody really knew how there was a Christian community there. And he was like, I want to come visit you. But... Before I come, I know y'all know this, but I need to make sure we're all on the same page as far as like my basic message. What is the message of the gospel? So I'm gonna lay it out for you. I'm just gonna kind of line it out. And I know you know this, but just to make sure that we're all together on the main points. So that's what I'm gonna do. And so he said, so let me, if that's okay with you all, let me tell you what, this, what the message is. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't have shame of it or from it. In fact, it's taken my shame away. I'm not ashamed of the good news of the gospel. It's a word that means good news. We, it's a message. It's not good advice. It's not good counsel. It's not good principles for a living. It's good news. Something has happened. Something good has happened. Something has happened in ancient history that if you open your heart up to it, it will change your present reality and your future destiny. And let me tell you what it is. And it's a message that he said, I have to explain it to you. Nobody can intuitively understand understand it. It has to be explained in words. People, so often people will quote St. Francis who said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. He never said that. That was not attributed to him until 350 years after he was dead. And he didn't believe it. He believed that the gospel had to be explained in words and he did it every day. So Paul said like, so he said, before I tell you the good news, I need to tell you some, um, the really bad news. And the bad news is you super need this good news. So from chapter one, verse 18, all the way through chapter three, verse 20, he said, we are a complete and total mess. We've all done a million things that we could never pay for. And we're hopelessly polluted. We can't pay for what we've done or cleanse our own heart. It's just a, it's just a disaster. He said, the only reason that God ever gave the 10 commandments wasn't to tell people how to qualify themselves. It was to show them you never could. You never, ever could. Nobody's doing this. You know, I always feel like kind of down where we live, there are people that put a sign with the Ten Commandments in their front yard. And I'm like, really? We're really rocking these in this household, you know? And it's just... Um, if somebody said, if they, you know, because Jesus said, if you do it in your heart, it's the same thing. If you look at somebody in a sexual way, it's the same as, 
as adultery. It's um, somebody said one time, if they if they could make a film of everything you've ever done, said, or even thought over the last 10 years, and they were going to show that film in front of God and the holy angels, and you were going to get a rating on that film, like, how would it go? And it wouldn't be good, you know, but, um, you know, one, um, one thing that happens in Young Life Camp, like a lot of kids are going to be going to Young Life Camp soon, especially weekend camps, is there's like 400 kids there, and they're having a blast and everything. And then on Friday night, they, they have what they call Young Life Club, where they sing and hear skits and stuff. And then somebody really gifted gives them a talk. And on Friday night, it's a talk about why Jesus is the most wonderful person that you've ever heard of. And on Saturday night, it's a talk about why did Jesus die in that horrible way? Why did he have to do that? Well, Saturday morning is a talk on um, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong? Why is the world so full of hurt and hate? Why, and it's such a mess. Why is every heart so full of hurt and hate and such a mess? Why is your heart so full of hurt and hate and such a mess? And they don't pull punches and they really tell them. And one weekend, it was the second weekend um, that I had ever been to one, and Bill Reeser made me be the head leader, which I thought was a really sexy job, but it really wasn't. It was, you just try to keep kids from making out and smoking weed, and you know, and then, but if there's a toilet that's clogged up, you have to unclog it. So the, up in the boys' dorm on Friday night, there were some boys who thought it would be hilarious to jam a roll of toilet paper in one toilet all the way in there, and then all of the guys used that toilet. They just thought that would be hilarious. So while they were down there at club, um, I had to go up there with gloves up to here, and I was in that toilet unclogging them, and I knew what they were hearing, that they were hearing that we're all sinners and, we, and super bad, and we should just get thrown on the And I was just like, let them have it. I mean, you tell them, yes, yes, amen. They really need this message. But then in verse 21, the greatest two words ever written or spoken, when we were a complete and total disaster, hopelessly polluted, unable to do anything to pay or to change. But now a righteousness from God has been made available. A righteousness that nobody could earn and it's just given to you that, we're, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word glory, it means, it's the word that originally meant a thought, a thought that you wouldn't know unless it was expressed. Every person created was intended to be a unique expression of God's creative genius. No one, no one has ever been that. And there we are. But now when it's a complete disaster, a righteousness, is made available, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation through faith in his blood. I wish I could say those words 20 times. It's the most important words you've ever heard. Justified, it means forgiven, sure. It means forgiven, that you've been forgiven of everything you've ever done. 
but also forgiven of everything you've ever, you've ever thought or anything you've ever said. And not only that, but everything you, in a moment in time, you're forgiven of everything you ever will do, will say, will think, completely forgiven. You're forgiven. If you believe in Jesus, you're forgiven. I remember I used to be a pastor of an international church and we had a lot of Filipinos that came to it. And I remember hearing from another pastor who was a, he was a pastor of an international church. And there was a Filipino woman one time who came up to him and said, Bill, you need to pray for me. And he said, why? And she said, because I just, I've done something and I don't feel like God can forgive me. And he was like, what? I mean, something that God wouldn't forgive? Yes, it was so terrible. And he said, what did you do? And she said, I'm not telling you. Like, why? And he said, when did you do this? And she said, it was 17 years ago. He was like, really? And you still don't feel forgiven? She said, yes. And you won't tell me. No. Okay, I'm going to ask God to tell me. I'm going to ask God to tell me what you did. I'm going to get down on my knees and, tonight. So at 730, she was at his door, knocking on the door. And she said, Pastor Bill, did you do what you said? He said, I sure did. You got down on your knees and asked God to tell you what I did? Yes, I did. Did God speak to you? Yes, he did. Did he tell you? And he said, well, he said to me, Bill, I don't remember what she did, you know? But it's more than that. Justification is more than being forgiven. It means that you, there's a right, that you are pronounced the moment you believe in Jesus, righteous in the sight of God. It's like all of our life. We've been unjust. And God looks at us as, as if we hadn't been. All of our life we've been unloving. And he looks at us in an instant as if we have been loving. Like the whole time. We all of our life we've been uncaring. And he looks at us as if we have been caring. It's like when the moment when Jesus died for us, our guilt was mysteriously transferred to him, even though he had never done anything wrong. And he paid for all of it. And the moment you believe in Jesus, his righteousness is mysteriously transferred to you, even though we've never done anything right. And you're pronounced righteous. You're declared righteous, just as righteous in the sight of God as Jesus Christ himself. Jesus who touched, like he touched people that we never would have. But he looks at us as if we had. Jesus spent time with people that we would have ignored. But God looks at us as if we hadn't. Jesus cared about people that we cared nothing about. And God looks at us as if we had. Jesus loved people that we hate and God looks at us as if we hadn't and you're kind of like it just seems kind of like a pretend thing like it's is it kind of make-believe like let's make believe this person is righteous when they're not well it wasn't make-believe when Jesus took our guilt for us it wasn't make-believe when he was stripped and beaten, it wasn't make-believe. When he was pounded and nailed, it wasn't make-believe. When he bled to death in a, the dark, and it wasn't make-believe. When he called home and no one answered, but then he rose from the dead, and we are pronounced righteous. And, not, and so this is like the greatest thing that I've learned in the last 10 years. 
is that when Jesus died and rose again, when I trusted in him, not only did he take away my guilt, but he took away my shame. And you're like, I don't see how that could be because it wasn't anything I did. There wasn't anything in me that he would see me that way, that he would pronounce me righteous. Exactly. I am pronounced righteous because he did it for me, but he did it for me. And he did it for you. He did it because he wanted you. Like if you've never felt wanted, if you've lived in the shame of feeling unwanted your whole life, well, Jesus wanted you and God the Father wanted you and you could pronounce yourself officially, I am wantable because somebody wanted me. And if nobody's ever accepted me and I've always felt unacceptable, well, I'm accepted now because Jesus accepts me and the Father accepts me, I'm officially acceptable. If nobody's ever loved me, if I feel unlovable my whole life and nobody's ever told me, that I was loved, he loved me, he loves me, and I am officially a lovable person. When I accepted Jesus and began to go to churches and people used to always say, and I've told you guys this before, but it rocked my world when I thought of it, that you could actually say, I don't believe that, but that, that people always said when God, justification means when God sees you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And I don't believe that. I believe that is the eternal consecration of shame. It's like saying, when I get to heaven, God's going to go, oh, crud, I forgot, oh, I forgot this thing was coming. Hey, I tell you what, I'm going to look over here to Jesus. I'm going to look at him. You have about second, seven, seven seconds to, to get him. So go, 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 go on in. He can't even look at me. I believe that justification means that when God looks at me, he sees me and he sees you. And he sees you righteous in Jesus. But it was you he wanted. It was you he loved. It was you he accepted. I remember there was a girl one time. Um, she was an Italian woman. She was a young woman. And she had agoraphobia. She couldn't leave her house. She couldn't check the mail. She just was in a state of panic all the time. And it was because she had had a series of affairs with married men. It, it had, she had just, she was just so guilty and it had settled into her psyche and just, and affected it. And somebody asked me if I would talk to her and I, and I, and so I did. And I was telling her the story of the prodigal son about a, a young man who had made a complete disaster of his life. And he's like, maybe I should try to go home. I'll, maybe my dad will kill me. I don't know, but I'll die if I stay here. And he didn't know that his dad was waiting for him every day watching for him. And as soon as he saw him, he took off running and just ran as fast as he could, calling out his name. And when he got to him, and his son didn't know what he was going to do, he just hugged him and kissed him and hugged him and kissed him and hugged him and kissed him. And he threw a party. And she said to me, why did that man do that? And I said, because he loved his son. And she said, why did Jesus tell this story? And I said, Alessia, that's how he feels about you that if you will come home, he will hug you and kiss you and throw a party for you because he wants you. And I can, I'll never forget 
the expression on her face, it didn't change a bit. She stared right at me and a gigantic tear filled both of her eyes and dropped down her face. And she said, I have never heard this in my entire life. There's a place in Revelation chapter two, verse 17. It says that when God, um, so I got this guy, you know, this guy, Tercio, Tercio. And just learning that, like they didn't even give me a name, but Jesus does. Jesus wants me. It says in Revelation chapter two, verse 17, it says that he gives to everyone who believes in him a new name, a name that no one knows, but the one who receives it. And I think about the fact like one day when we get to heaven and you know, Jesus is gonna come up to you and he's gonna call you something and your friends are gonna say, what's that name? And you just say, oh, early in the morning, that was the name he used to use to, to wake up my heart and help me fall in love with him that day. Let's just call it my coffee name. I don't know how, Lord Jesus, how anybody could turn this down. I don't understand how anyone could turn this down. But thank you to think that the God who made this universe has a heart like this, that our Savior has a heart like this. How people couldn't love you, I'll never know. But I thank you that we do. And I do pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here today who doesn't really know if they've ever really received this gift, good night, help them to receive it. Like it's just a gift. Help them to receive the gift of being wanted, the gift of being loved and lovable, of being accepted and acceptable, the gift of being shame free. And just say to Jesus, I want this, I want you. Good.